Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today on the show, Jingle Toaster. Jingle Toaster. I love it. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson, and I'm here as always with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today on the show, we have Erica Ann England who is, in increasing order of importance, chief of strategy at SupportPay, a former divorce attorney turned mediator, and usually happy co-parent, and top of the list, a paddleboard yoga enthusiast. We have a list of 1,500 things to talk to her about today, but we'll try to keep it to just four. Erica, welcome to the toaster. It is a delight to be here. And I should clarify off the bat, I I attempt paddleboard very poorly. So while I am enthusiastic, I would not like anyone to get the wrong impression that I am any good. I stand by our comment. You can be enthusiastic and terrible. All right, great. I love it. <laughs> Safety first. Just uh, wear a life jacket. No, you're going to be you're going to be <laughs> fine. You're going to be fine. Paddle hard. It's going to be great. Okay, let me get this straight. Former divorce attorney, then a mediator, and now you're chief of strategy at Support Pay. So I've got one quick question for you. Are you hiring? This sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a rough week already, and it's only Tuesday. Yeah, divorce is a rough world, isn't it? You have to deal with a lot of difficult energy, and you're... Working with people during one of the hardest times of their lives, working with the most important things in their lives, and that's a lot to carry for years and years. So after 15 years, I just jumped ship and headed into legal tech, where apparently you can do anything you want as long as you do something else. We call it A-B testing. Um, and there's really like very few rules. It's so the opposite of law. And um, I recommend it. Get through your week first, and then we'll talk. <laughs> Seth, I see a real future for you. All right. I know. Yeah. Light, but see, she at the very end, she was like, get through your week, yeah. and then we'll talk. I thought like she wasn't even going to answer my question. Yeah, no, she so had one in the pocket. I've got hope for you. here. There was, that was great. Yeah, I, ready you to know, go. You, you, uh, you've, <laughs> you sent us this, this note uh, as we were kind of talking about the kinds of things we wanted to talk about on the show. And, and you sent us this note with a, a provocative subject that uh, we thought we might use to kickstart a set of conversations that I, I know Seth and I are going to have over the, the coming months around the holidays. The holidays are tough for a lot of people, uh, you know, seasoned co-parents and new co-parents alike. It's, it's hard to make it through the season. And your subject was don't survive the holidays co-parenting through the season with a new perspective. It sounds potentially horrifying, uh, and I hope you uh, can shed a little light on what you th- what you're thinking about how to how to get through the holidays uh, as a co-parent yourself. I would love to. Yeah, I got divorced when my children were one and three, and they are now. Eight and ten at my last check. So we've had a lot of holidays together. Um, but 
Just aside from that, something that's always been important to me as an attorney and a mediator is using language with precision because I believe it very much shapes our world and our inner being, how we're speaking and words that we are using. And as soon as we get into the holiday season, won't we all see 25 articles at once on surviving it? And it really is supposed to be a joyful, for some people, a deeply religious time. And I think for anyone, just the whole word of survival implies it's something that we have to get through, not something to enjoy. So what I mean to say by don't survive the holidays, and this is your first divorce especially, or if this is the first one where someone's remarried or custody schedule is different, and you're looking ahead going, okay, I just have to survive it. There's a different point of view, and I would be happy to give your listeners a couple of tips on how to shift into a healthier point of view. So well, that, and let me just let me just ask you this: Did yeah. how long? How many holidays did it take you to figure this out? Like, did you just go into your first holiday and think, "Oh, I, I nailed it"? Well, let's, let's back up. <laughs> was the first holiday? Was the first holiday Columbus Day? <laughs> no, Arbor Day, <laughs> as they all are, you savage. <laughs> uh, you know, um, interestingly. The very first holiday that came up after my husband, my former husband and I split was our anniversary. And my three-year-old daughter, who didn't know, had no way of knowing that was our anniversary, said, Mama, I was at your wedding. It was outside and there were flowers and there was sunshine. And I have no idea where that came from. She wasn't there. Um... And she said that on the day. Because she wasn't invited <laughs> or because was, she wasn't yeah. born yet. I'm just trying to be a little, you know, language, we need to be precise, <laughs> I heard on this show. She feels like she was there. Like she thinks she gate crashed because she believes she was living in my heart before she was born. And she saw everything that happened before she was born, which secretly horrifies me because I did get into some <laughs> trouble, you know. I hope she didn't see that stuff. But she thinks she saw the wedding. So I realized, oh my gosh, it's on our anniversary. We can't celebrate an anniversary anymore and how sad that is. But also, if we didn't have that day we got married for our situation, we wouldn't have our children and our family. So we started celebrating family anniversary, And every year we all get together and we have the same cake that we had at our wedding. And we have champagne for the kids and uh, for the adults, we have sparkling soda. No, I said that wrong. We have champagne for the adults. No, no, no. I'm I'm totally, we're we're absolutely leaving that in the show. Yeah, and and now we know the things that we didn't right. want her to see. Right. Yeah, when she right calls on. you and says, like, hey, mom, do you remember that time in Poughkeepsie in 1995? <laughs> then you'll know she really, she was really watching the whole time. They're just, they're easier to manage when they're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> That is a really heartwarming uh, tradition. And that, we do it every year. There. So that was that. This is one of those things that came about through pure serendipity. And so by the time we got into Christmas, I wanted to make sure that we could do it in a way that made it special for our children. I have a good co-parenting relationship and not everyone does. So for me, it's easier to quote unquote survive the holidays than maybe someone who's going through a very difficult and stressful parenting time. But nonetheless, my advice applies. 
So can I give you some tips? I was about to say, I've got a list of tips I give my clients. So I want to see if ours line up. So fire away. Okay. So first of all, get rid of the word survive and replace it with anything else that suits how you imagine you want your holidays to be. So picture what's special. Picture why you love your holidays. Are they reflective? Are they joyous? Is it the family? Is it the time off? So for me, it would be, I'm going to have a relaxing holiday full of family. And then that's the thing I tell myself going into it. See, that just seems to me like an oxymoron. Truth. (laughs) Like relaxing time with my family. Agree. That okay. Just, yes. That, I'm not using that one. I don't know about you, Pete. <laughs> it's usually not happening at the same time. Yeah. Like I'm either okay, relaxing or with the family because right. I'm one of eight children. So at no point are we all relaxing together. Eight, eight, eight. Yeah. You said, you said eight. It's chaos. I'm an only child. She so I just, just went threw up to a clock. 1500 in, Yeah, Pete, we just went up to 1,501 things to talk about on this show. Wow. Okay, go ahead. We'll pivot back to this. I guarantee it. (laughs) I'm, I'm here for it. So if we just stop using the word survive and start thinking about what do we want our holiday to look like and then begin talking about it in that way. So anything that you see, any article that says surviving the holidays, just don't read it. Anyone who talks about surviving, don't listen to it. You don't have to thrive through the holidays. It does not need to be your best holiday ever because you're pr- probably not in that place if you're recently divorced. But you can get through it in the way that you want to. And here are some things that you can do. First of all, you can start a new tradition. How Whatever age your children are, this is the perfect year to do something you have always wanted to do. For my children, it is that we make French hot cocoa, and then we go on the walks around the neighborhoods with the fancy lights. Sure, and sure. It's like, it's like a silly thing, and we added it to our Christmas tradition repertoire. It doesn't have to be done on a certain night. And there's this long period of time that you have to enjoy it. And we started that on the very first year when they were teeny tiny. And we've done that ever since. And it provides this excitement. Erica, let me jump in on that. Yeah. This isn't just a Christmas thing you're talking about. Let's be clear about this. Because this is something I tell to my clients all the time. I usually advise clients, unless there's a birthday or something in the middle here, that mom gets labor day every year and dad gets memorial day and people like well why don't we switch i said one i've lived this Uh, similar to you my child my child was very young when i got divorced he was two and a half he's now 17 as people know but with memorial days in may and so is mother's day so one you're going to be always looking back like did i have them last year did i not have them last year so when you know you have them every year you can start a tradition so starting a new tradition is something that i highly recommend because it's kind of yours, it's yours with them. And then you're kind of building this new wonderful thing. And it might've been something as simple as making cocoa and going on a walk, or we always go to the movies or we always go to the beach or whatever the case may be, but it's so simple. It's a hundred percent in your control and you can start doing it every year. Hence the word tradition. So I am, so far we're one for one. I love it. And it's also affordable. 
it's a tradition can be completely free. That's a point that that I think we come back to because we we've talked in the fairly recent past about the stereotypes, like the stereotype traps that we fall into that once you're divorced, like once it happens, that suddenly everything gets expensive because now you don't even know it before you wake up and you've bought way too many Christmas presents and you've started new expensive things just to, to like, I don't know, try to fill some fantasy allegiance between your kids and make sure everybody's happy yeah. through compensation. Yeah. You feel bad that they're indifferent, yeah. right? So I think that's so that that actually is a very good point because people do that. We've talked about it, Pete. I got a little lucky when my kid was little. He did the math and being Jewish, he says, so, dad, I'm going to be at mom's for the first five days of Hanukkah. <laughs> so I got a question. When I come here on the sixth day, am I getting six gifts? And I'm like, first off, love the math because you're little, right? But no, you don't get 12 days of Hanukkah because your parents don't live under the same roof. Yeah. Yeah. This is also the kid who, when he was like, I don't know what, 10 years old, took me for a hundred bucks in a street corner card trick. So like, he's he's a special kid. Oh, you must be proud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you should have seen what we did with that hundred bucks. It's like worth <laughs> millions now. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know. point the the point is you don't have to spend to create traditions and let's let's start on the the things that you can do with your family that are that are special cuz family doesn't necessarily have to go away on a separation. Okay, where where do you go? Absolutely. My next favorite thing to do is create a journal for the children or a photo book and there are a couple ways I'll tell you to do this so that they can create a comprehensive record of their holiday, even though they're going back and forth between two homes. So again, in, in my house, we celebrate Christmas and we got the children one of those little Fuji cameras that's like the Polaroids we all had growing up. Um, and they took the camera to all their special little Christmas events, whether they were with me or with their dad or at school, and pasted all the photos into a scrapbook from the 99 cent store. And they had my Christmas 2018, and it didn't have any delineation between mom's house and dad's house. It was just a record of their Christmas. And I thought a lovely way to preserve the continuity and the centrality of their lives in any kind of co-parenting situation. So some things you can use if you don't have a camera that has um, like a Polaroid type camera is it's super easy to create a Shutterfly account and just put all your children's photos in there and print them out at Walgreens for it's like five cents for mm -hmm. a photo. And super cheap. Yeah. And then if your children are writers, they can take a journal and write back and forth of what they did at every event. Or mine are at this age now where they're really into graphic novels. Um, can't say I love it. I liked the age where they were reading children's Shakespeare, but... Yeah. <laughs> <So they laughs> read... a drawing like children's Batman, horrifyingly capturing uh, the Joker on Christmas. It's great. Oh my great. gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> they were drawing like a graphic novel of me making breakfast and my head explodes in the novel. 
And I mean, that's not wrong, but still. So, so my children, that's what they'll do this year. Yeah, that's perfect. And I, I got to, we, we do that uh, just around our house. We got, we stopped giving each other cards right for holidays and instead we have a book and everybody takes turn writing the messages to each other in that centralized book so i really like that idea because now every time you write somebody a new card for whatever holiday is maybe it is arbor day uh you get to go back through and look at all of the messages that have come years past and once you get a couple years down the road it's there's a lot there's a lot of heart in there and it's a, a good way to kind of remember those those transitions i love that yeah i gotta tell you i think the the brilliant one is having these kids yeah. with the cameras and just taking photos I, I think i've never heard of that i've never advised anyone to do that i'm going to start doing that uh, erica that's brilliant and they will look bad right these the photos tend to be completely blurred you have no idea what's going on or the child's drawing a picture it's it's not at all about creating something that looks instagram worthy it's just them documenting their own experience and looking back i was picturing a whole lot of thumbs and fingers in the, <laughs> in the picture that's and, and and i get it i you can tell when the when you have a grade schooler and they bring the project in whether they did it or the parent did it so i love it that it's just the kids stuff um, that's just amazing. Yeah, we we shoot to underdo it in this household, which is a great <laughs> tip for people going through divorce. But very finally, the last thing I will say for people, don't don't survive the holidays. If you want to enjoy your holiday, this is the year that you ask for help. It's very hard for highly functioning people to ask for help. And it's quite hard if you've already asked for help earlier this year because you had a custody dispute or you're, you got a divorce. But it's so important. And Christmas is a time or Hanukkah. These are times where family wants to help. People want to be generous with their time and their money. And it is a great chance to give someone to do something nice for your children. So ask quite specifically for somebody to bring you dinner or to drop you off things to make cookies or if they can help you get this special gift you'd like to get your child or babysit for a night so you can get away. But give yourself the gift of allowing to ask for help and taking somebody up on that. And you will seriously make their day as much as it makes yours. You got to have, you got to have your time for your paddleboard yoga. Am I right? Like you got How do you do that with kids? You, you I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I know. They, um, you should see three of us try to fit on a paddleboard. <laughs> it, it looks like an ill-fated <laughs> Viking voyage. You should, don't just lash them to the side and paddle out to sea. <laughs> yeah. You know, if someone falls off, at least there's two. Yeah, and right, right. So Back up. Exactly. Smart, smart parenting. Okay. I I think these are I think these are terrific. And I, I think the whole idea of asking someone for help, I just want to pivot on that because it's what I think you might hear is asking uh, like ask a, another family member or a family member of your former spouse. It's really you're asking anybody. You're asking friends, family, right? You're not you don't you're not really closing the door on certain people because I think people have a hard time asking for help right now. They have a really hard time reaching out, especially in, you know, gestures broadly, the times we are living in, it's hard to ask for help. I'm terrible. That is the one thing I'm really, really bad at is asking for help. And sometimes I get frustrated because then when I actually 
get up the courage to ask for help and I don't get it. I'm like, really? I never yeah. asked for help. It like reinforces like, but, you not asking for help after you have those experiences. Exactly. But I'm going to kind of just kind of tune the dial in a little bit on asking for help. I, you can also ask to change the way you interact with your friends. And what I mean by that is I was divorced. My son was two and a half. I had some friends that were single that I used to go out with. But now it's a weekend when I have my son. And what I would ask them to do is like, come over to my house before you go out. I'll have a drink with you. Kai will be watching a movie or we'll sit there and feed him or whatever. It's not going to be all kid time. Come just have like one drink with me before you go out. And I'm going to be happy because I get to hang out with you guys a little bit. I'm still spending time with Kai. He was going to watch his movie anyway or whatever the case may be or and I'm not asking you to spend all night. I'm not asking you like to ruin your evening plans. You're going to be having to drink when you're getting ready anyway. Like you, So I think you can also try to ask people to not conform to your new world, but just have you involved in different ways. And if they're true friends, they're going to be like, yeah, that, that's great. Or, hey, how about if we do this instead? Or like, I, so there's different ways to still maintain those connections and those relationships. That's really, that's really smart. And I, I think that's probably another thing that if you're, and, uh, you know, check me when I stop, start lying, but when you are recently divorced or separated, you probably haven't taken a lot of time to think through new ways of engaging socially to keep your keep your brain and your that sort of social engine firing and that's that's one that that seems really smart to me that just says here's a new hole in my schedule that i can fill with these relationships in a different way and i love it for two reasons first because seth seems like a guy who would have really good bourbon at his house <laughs> you see what you did Looks to his like face just now? Might know me a little bit. <laughs> and then <laughs> better than I anticipated. Second, because oh, your friends want to help you yeah. when you are going through a divorce and if they haven't been through a divorce, they have no idea how to do it. And so they giving someone something that explicit of a direction is often it's it's an honor to them to be able to do that for you because they've been wanting to see you. They've been wanting to jump in and assist and they just haven't known how to do it. Yeah, that's smart. I, it be uh, that as somebody who hasn't been divorced, I can tell you, I don't know how to help somebody through a divorce beyond like ordering pizza on moving day or something like that's, I'm really terrible at that, but having like knowing how to be asked, I like, I'll be there. I'll be there. Bad knees and all. I'll help. Whatever you need. Right. And literally, when and, and people do appreciate it. Um, I, I mean, I've mentioned this before. My girlfriend will call people when they're going through a divorce and say, no one understood it when I was going through it. I've been through it. I'm calling you because I've been there, right? Um, I'll jump in that hole with you because I know the way out. So, um, but it's so hard and people want to do the right thing. They don't know whether you want to talk about divorce, don't want to talk about what's going on. You don't you know, all this stressful stuff, or they just, you look terrible. Do they acknowledge that you look terrible? Do you want to have that conversation or not? Cause it's so horrible. And, or do you just say, Hey, I'm here for you, but they don't really know. So when you're the one needing something and you can say, this is what I could really use. I'd really appreciate your help. Now look, it's open. It's honest. It's vulnerable. 
at a time in your life when things are pretty raw, I'm not saying these are easy things to do, but give it a shot, especially with your close friends. And I think that Erica is right. They, they're honored to, that you're the one they call. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you address some of these needs when, because everything that we're talking about is, is really sort of, it feels to me like we're talking about the ideal divorce, right? Everything is, everything between you and your former spouse, like you're able to, to talk about calendars and everything. Is that? No, I'm saying if things are terrible with your former spouse. Okay. It doesn't matter. Okay. I'm talking about the time that you have and you need help. Okay. All right. So it doesn't. Uh, yeah. I mean, all of this stuff, all of our, uh, you know, if we even if we back a little bit further into our new traditions, like really approaching uh, when you are when you're mired in recent bruising conflict with the person from whom you just separated. Let's say let's say things are so rough. I'm making this up now. Good. You are you just moved in. It's after Thanksgiving. You just moved into a new place. Because you had to get out of the house. You got a, a small apartment. All your Christmas stuff is back at the old house. You have a choice. You can run out and buy the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, right? And see what you can do. Or you can start a new tradition and say, you know what? I'm at my wit's end. It's Christmas Eve and we're ordering pizza. And then all of a sudden, you have pizza every Christmas Eve and everyone else thinks you guys are crazy. And you're like, you know what? We did it. We went and got a couple little gifts for each other and we played with the boxes and it was the best Christmas Eve ever because we just we just owned it. Like, this is it. We're together. And like, what is it really about, right? It's about spending quality time. And I, I'm a big believer. The most precious thing we have is time and none of us know how much we have left. So think about the time that you have. In that, even if you're alone this Christmas, that is time that you get to spend however you choose to spend it with yourself, which for me was very hard at first. But I, I appreciate my, my alone time where I can do what I want to do, whether it's go for a run or, or um, hang out with friends or watch a game or whatever it is. That's time that you're never going to get back. So use it wisely. It gets to the, the I didn't mean thing to get on a soapbox. Talk about yeah, it's, get, it's looking great. Right How's it looking it. from way up there? Uh, it, it's uh, it's an important thing because I don't think and, and I, I I wonder how much in the recency of a divorce you stop and think how am I going to want my kids to remember this moment? How am I going to want my kids to remember this month? Uh, because the decisions you make now will determine the conversations you have in ten years, twenty years, right? I imagine it's very hard to do that, particularly around holidays, because they are steeped in tradition. And for some people, they're steeped in trauma from the holidays they experienced as a child, or they had magical holidays and put themselves under incredible pressure to recreate that for their children. So this may be the first year that they're looking at all of the things that they have lost and focusing instead on how to make it an enjoyable experience for your child is just not a natural thing to do for the best parent. But the sooner, the sooner in any co-parenting situation that we can get 
child-centered and put them at the beginning of every discussion, the easier it will be. And you will begin to notice that you can do things completely differently and still have an amazing time. So the pizza at Christmas and the Charlie Brown Christmas tree makes a child just as excited because they're not thinking that you normally serve an eight-course dinner on China. Children get excited on holidays anyway, no matter what you're doing. You could say, new tradition, we're going to vacuum the stairs. And my children would be like, yes! <laughs> Wait, can we trade? Oh, what? <laughs> Did like, you just are trade? you renting them out? What is going on Is this on what here? you learned in your family of eight siblings? What? <laughs> it's really just like... The excitement as a parent that we can put into it. And so if you can't put excitement into something big, put excitement into something small, you know, say like, let's go get the fanciest dessert that they have at the bakery. That's a $5 thing. And, and you know, eclairs make everybody feel better. There's no wrong time to eat one. So since... Especially with bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's better I got, with bourbon. I got just a uh, just a closet full of household cleaning products. I'm going to put bows on this year and just see if I can gear up some real enthusiasm around some new so, new traditions. <laughs> I got a question about this. I, I got a question because we're spending a lot of time on holidays, but yeah. there's other times during the year. Yeah. So let me let me. Pete always says this. Let me pivot. I'm trying to be more like Pete. That's <laughs> okay, my noted. That's going to be my New Year's resolution, Pete. When it's coming up, I'm letting you know right now. All right, because. Divorce can hijack your brain, right? It really can change the way you think when you're in the middle of it. And, and that happens whether you're in the holidays or not. So talk to us about what you think about that, Erica. Oh, the amygdala hijack is the new favorite topic in my household. And I speak about this to divorce care groups. I lecture on it to MBA students and law students and conflict resolution programs because in my years as a mediator, so this was maybe about 10 years I spent as a mediator and probably 10,000 hours in divorce negotiations. I learned a lot about conflict and saw a lot of people experiencing conflict. And I realized that the, the fight, flight, or freeze reaction we've all heard about, we imagine that that happens in emergency situations like you're on the freeway and you see police lights behind you. All of a sudden, your stomach drops and you have that visceral reaction. Or flee. I always flee in that yeah. scenario. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Which is maybe not recommended, but if you're a better driver than they are, um, you know, Godspeed. Have at it. For sure. <laughs> or, or if in the middle of the night, somebody bangs on your door, you're going to have that fight, flight, or freeze reaction. We imagine that it comes into play in emergency scenarios. However, there's another scenario where it comes into play, and that is when our brains are perceiving threat. And almost entirely throughout a divorce process, even a good divorce, you're under threat. The people getting divorced are under threat. Yeah. Yeah. And that may not be explicitly the other person saying, I'm going to take you to the cleaners. It is everything you held and imagined for yourself and is most important to you is now up in the air. Right. So you don't know w what your parenting schedule is going to look like or whether you have to sell your house and move. You, you have no idea how your life will look 
and you've just lost the life that you planned. So each person in the divorce is feeling, whether or not they can articulate it, threat. And when your brain is under threat, what happens in a, in a very um, non-medical way, you know, I went to law school for the two reasons that one does, which is I don't like blood and I don't like math. So <laughs> did not go to medical school. This is a very non-medical description. Right. But then you went to be a divorce attorney, which is all about the blood and the math. <laughs> right? Little did I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, okay. Like, so Erica, far, I got two new you know. T-shirts out of this thing. I've got "Fight the Amygdala Hijack" and "Divorce is All About the Blood and the Math." <laughs> so, uh, so basically, what happens is your brain is scanning around at all times, and it's it's under threat. And when your brain is under threat, your amygdala takes over as the decision maker instead of your prefrontal cortex. What this means is, rather than your thinking, rational brain making the decisions, your irrational, reactive, emotional brain is making decisions. Even if a person looks quite calm, maybe even feels calm, if they are perceiving threat, then right away, the decision-making channel goes to their amygdala, which has hijacked their prefrontal cortex, and they are at that point capable, really, really capable of fight, flight, or freeze. And it, look, Pete, I see this all the time. I see it in court. I see it in mediations. I see it when I'm talking to my clients because um, when they have that perception. So I get that this happens all the time and not just back in the day when we were in the jungle and a tiger is coming mm -hmm. at us. And one of the things, as simple as it sounds, and sometimes people say this is silly, I'll tell my client, just breathe. Right mm -hmm. now, let's just breathe. Because if you picture a tiger coming at you, and you're going to either freeze, fight, or flight, none of that involves, ah, right? Mm -hmm. When you breathe, your amygdala is like, whoa, I'm not under attack. Because that is not something that you naturally do if you're under attack. So something that simple can actually change the way you think. Now, Erica is going to tell me why I'm wrong. Actually, I was going to tell you why you're completely correct. If Ugh, yes. another one, Pete hates that. And, oh, and, God. And Pete, you are also totally right all of the time. Well, I so, appreciate it. It doesn't matter. Only matters when Seth's wrong, but I appreciate you trying. But if you think of this example of you're driving along on the freeway to somewhere you love to go, the weather's great, the radio's on, you know you're going the speed limit, it's a beautiful day, and a police officer comes zooming up on you with the lights and the sirens, right away you have that physiological reaction. And then they zoom past you so you know they're going after somebody that's not you and you know you're safe. How long does it take your body to calm down after that? Way too long. Way too, Way long. too long. And in, yeah. di and in divorce, it... they're having those experiences multiple times a day, every single day for weeks or months or years. Yeah, a challenge to your adrenal system, a challenge to your respiratory system, a challenge all around. And nowhere has it written fight or flight 
or solemn reflection. Like that's never a thing. So it, it does take intention and but practice. We now have another t shirt. We now have another <laughs> t shirt. Yeah, or solemn reflection. Uh, I, so I think the breath is a great yeah. idea. Yeah. It's a, no, it's a great idea. Um, I'm glad I thought of it and not Seth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do I you know I I like this I, I like the amygdala hijack concept and and it's if only because I I had an opportunity to to uh, do an interview with a psychologist who, who talks about the amygdala reprogramming which is the other side of the it's been hijacked now how do you reprogram it and we we go into a, a rather extensive discussion on on the introspection that comes with what you're experiencing right now. Like it, it's, it's easier, I think maybe to put it into the concept of uh, a context of something that, that like a universal phobia, like a, afraid of heights, right? Um, you know, how do you conquer your fear of heights? You expose yourself to gr- increasingly, uh, uh, you know, challenging experiences uh, where you are put at a height. And in the case of the psychiatrist, he said, I decided I was going to try low parasailing. And I got on, I strapped in and I white knuckled it through a very low. Maybe he had me 20 feet off the water. And then we got down and I was fine. And I thought, well, I'm still terrified. My heart is still beating like crazy. What's that about? I'm just going to be curious about that for a second. And then I'm going to go get on the boat again. And I'm going to try and go to 30 feet. And before long, he's at 100 feet or more uh, above the water and he's having a blast. You can reprogram your amygdala you can do it and you can it starts pete it starts is you have to recognize it yes absolutely i think that's the hardest thing for people to realize at the time because when it's going you don't even know you've been hijacked when you're hijacked because you're terrified had people saying i'm not emotional and and your clients are are saying "I'm, i'm not emotional i'm fine and then you've had your client say the next day I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't remember anything we discussed in your office, or I don't remember anything that happened in court because they were emotional. And the whole point is, no, it's happening. Don't be afraid of it. And it's happening all the time because we're programmed to do that, right? Like that's what your body is programmed to do. So what what else does it do to you when your amygdala is hijacked? If you're in court, you can't fight, flight, or freeze. So you can breathe. But some of the things that your amygdala is doing is, first of all, it is you're incapable of empathy when your amygdala is hijacked. So it's very hard in a negotiation with two stressed people to get them to empathize with the other. And this includes understanding someone else's position um, because their brain is not operating in that channel. Also, your amygdala fills in information based upon your own experiences. So we don't know this, but we're making all kinds of judgments and assumptions and immediately making decisions based on that. Because we, our brain knows we don't have time to do a lot of research because we're under threat. So our brain's doing the best assessment possible at that moment, and it's filling in. You've probably seen clients make all kinds of crazy assumptions, and then the other person says, oh, no, I can. I have a piece of paper to show you that. That's, that's not what happened. And that's so, your brain. Erica, yeah, let me jump in on that. And, and this is something that I think that I know that I've learned over my many years of practicing law in this very difficult area is 
the more you understand about what is physically happening to your clients in these different situations and the grief process that they are going through in a divorce makes me a better practitioner because some of my clients are like, well, you can just relate to what I'm saying. And sometimes they say they can't, and I, I can't get through their amygdala hijack, right? I try to. I try to use all the tricks of the trade and things I've learned over the years and the things that I've read and studied and psychologists I've spoken to and all that. But when you can identify it and have techniques to get them to get out of that and to focus in another manner, then it can really help move the process forward. And one trick that I have when I mediate cases and even if I'm dealing with a client, and let's say we're doing a lot of parenting stuff and it's getting very emotional, I might say something of, let's take a break. You're going to hate this next part, Erica. Let's do some math. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I want to look at the child support of the alimony numbers. And I will actually ask them to do the math. Like, here, I brought an extra calculator. And the reason I do that is once you start doing mathematical calculations, which we all know are not emotional. It's a different side of your brain and it helps keep that other part at bay and it just gives them a break. And so we'll come back to parenting in a minute or they want to still focus on parenting and I'll say something like, all right, let's count up the number of holidays in days because I'm having them do the math. That's all <laughs> I'm doing and I'm getting them to calm down and it works. It completely works time. because you're pulling them out of their amygdala and you're pushing them into activating their thinking brain. You said breathe earlier. So what that is doing is it's not actually the breath. It's thinking about breathing that pulls people into their prefrontal cortex because typically that's a function we don't think about. So both of those things, math and thinking about breathing, are really lessening the hold that the amygdala has on decision-making. And something else that mediation really is great at doing is asking open-ended questions, particularly about what people want to see happen. Because then you get them looking at a future and picturing what they want happening. You know, what summer's coming up. Well, what would be ideal for you? What, what do you want your summer to look like? But Erica, here's the thing that you just said in that sentence or that question. What do you want for you? Because when you ask the open-ended question, what do you want this summer? I want him to understand that I've been the parent and I want him to him. It, when it's focused on the other person, you're losing that battle. It's what do you want for you? So at mediation, I'll tell my clients, I want you to be selfish today. I want you to do something that's really hard for you. Focus on you. We're not worried about the other room. We are paying a mediator good money to go in the other room and deal with them for us. You, at some levels, don't care how that mediator does her job. You just want to know what the deal is. You don't care if she's in there flipping a coin and it turned out that it was heads and boom, you got what you wanted because it's all about you today. And it's really hard to have people do that. But when they do that, the amygdala is not firing because they're not feeling attacked from the other side. And it makes it a higher likelihood of success. By success in a mediation, I mean you get a deal. I'm not saying you're going to love the deal, 
but you're going to avoid going to a trial. Absolutely. And you're back in your thinking brain. Are you, were you just born a psychologist or is it all, tra- well, all I had a, training? What are you, what are you doing to yeah, him right now? No. I mean, I know you're a welcome guest, but I need you to slow your roll on his ego right now. <laughs> Because it's yeah, too much. No, but here's the problem. Here's the problem, Erica. This is the problem in the world that I grew up in. My mom was a civil rights attorney, and my dad taught psychology at University of South Florida, PhD out of Columbia. Okay, these people, brilliant. And I did not have good grades in high school, and I came home with a report card, and I had an A in law and a B in sight. And my mom looks across the dinner room table to my dad and said, C. He's going to be a lawyer. (laughs) And my dad doesn't miss a beat and says, well, of course, it's easier. (laughs) That's the world I grew up in, okay? So, Pete, it is not an ego boost, man, at all. Wow. Okay, well, for what it's worth, I was raised by a preschool teacher and uh, the head of the probation department in Placer County. (laughs) So... Which was actually the same person. <laughs> like, really, these are skills that one uses on a daily basis, working in the divorce field, talking to people like they are children or like they are prisoners. <laughs> and I mean this in the in the nicest possible way. But man, did that come in you know, handy. When people say the, I've, the nicest possible way, sometimes it's just not a way to be nice about that. <laughs> I mean... I will say exactly the same phrases to my children when, that I say to my mediation clients. Exactly. So, uh, you know, they'll have a conflict. I say, how did you try to resolve it? Yeah. And it actually is a great way to be a lazy parent and make your kids more independent. And, it, you know, it looks good. New t-shirt. I live for that. Yeah. yeah. New t-shirt. <laughs> you wrote it down. I saw you. And when they, when they were little, parent. they would just like really sadly walk out of the room. Like they just give me this oh, yeah. Charlie Brown face and walk out of the room. Sometimes they come back and they're like, oh, we can't, we couldn't resolve it. And I just say like, oh, try again. And I can sit there with my glass of wine after dinner reading Slate magazine. And, <laughs> and you know, they're in, they're in the back room talking about their feelings on Legos. I love Our it. Our whole thing was always like, are you, did you, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I did. Are you ready for a hug? Yes, I am. And then they would give each other a hug, my kids together. And it was really great. And I sometimes try and do that with Andy and he never hugs me for oh. some reason. I just, I get so frustrated. I know. So, and, because Andy is our awesome producer is, behind yeah. the scenes, gets ne- none of the street cred. He does all the hard work, but he's, you know, he's like in his cave. Yeah. He doesn't really like human He's contact, also present. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he was of great help to me yesterday. Uh, even though I work for a tech company, I have a very low level of technological knowledge. In fact, my company's here's another t-shirt my company's rule is if erica can't work it we can't sell it (laughs) and so poor andy had the task of teaching me to adjust my settings to get ready for this today and uh if if i sound eloquent and the sound is nice and it comes together beautifully that's entirely due to andy so thank you if you can hear it at all it's probably because (laughs) of andy hey you know speaking of your company can we uh can we hear a little bit about what you you came onto this show and i don't know what we were thinking we didn't talk about what you do at all so give us a plug for uh, support pay what do you do over there and and uh tell us why it's cool 
Absolutely. Well, it's cool because it's the first child support app designed to help parents organize, manage, and transfer child support between each other. I'm sure, Seth, you've had a million clients say, I just wish I never had to talk to my ex about money again. And this is a way to make that happen. They use all their child support. Payments go through the app. So you can pay your base payment and receive it, your commission, your bonus. But more than that, because I have children, if yours are anything like mine, they cost money all the time, right? They're, they're little Oliver Twists. Erica, I'm not dad. I'm an ATM machine. For sure, right? right? And the, and he knows the code. Let's just be honest about it. So for parent, parents don't know this before they get divorced, but after they get divorced, they have to go and talk to each other about reimbursement for all of these expenses on an ongoing basis. So there's a doctor's appointment, there's soccer cleats, there's art class, there's childcare. And it creates a lot of conflict, particularly because people almost always have very different money values and money management styles. Money and communication are the two things that lead to divorce. So when they have to communicate about money constantly post-divorce, it is incredibly high stress. It creates a lot of conflict for the family. It's bad for the children. A lot of support goes unpaid because people just can't handle even dealing with the other person. So it all goes through this app. So just talk me through, I know technology is not your thing, even though you're with a tech company, but I have to pay my former spouse child support How does that work on this app? You have your bank account connected and she has hers connected, just like with Venmo. Mm -hmm. And just like with Venmo, you go in and you put in the amount and you put transfer. If it's an expense, you can just scan the receipt. It uploads everything and you send a request for her to reimburse. Or if it's too... So I go to the doctor for my kid and it's a copay. They don't really have a receipt. I just type in, you know, 50 bucks looking for you know, copay for doctor's appointment. Yep. And maybe you have an agreement that says you pay 50% of doctors, but you pay 80% of the ortho. And so what the app does is it will automatically calculate the share that your former spouse owes and it sends her a notification. Look at that. Erica doesn't have to do math. You don't even have to do the math. Oh my God. It's awesome. This is why it works. (laughs) And neither does anyone using it. And then the notification comes from the app. So it's not, you don't have to walk around all day wondering when your ex is going to send you another text message telling you that you owe them money. And this is, you can log in whenever you're ready, see your dashboard, see what you owe, see what they owe you, make payments. And probably the two most important components that parents don't even know are really, really important going into it is that it keeps records of every single payment Every expense, every reimbursement, every dispute, every support payment. And if parents ever need to go back to modify support or there's any kind of dispute over whether what was paid, all they need to do is push a button and they've got all of the records there. You just saved hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in attorney's Be- fees. This because is people come in I, with like shoeboxes yeah. and of yeah. receipts and spreadsheets. Erica, I would... I would love a shoebox worth of receipts. It would be something to actually go through. True. Usually what I'm getting is bank accounts, Venmo accounts. Oh, I think I paid on cash that time. I'm not going to track that. Um, you know, it's all over the place. In fact, one of the um, pieces of advice I give to 
my clients is at the end, I actually say set up a new bank account to receive your child support payment and to buy in those or those types of expenses, co-pays or tuition or extracurriculars. And the reason for that is then I only have to look at one bank statement when I'm going through all the transactions. If you And if you want to use a credit card, get a credit card that you only swipe for your kid. I'm not talking about when you go to the grocery store and you buy kid stuff for sure stuff. I'm talking about, oh, I'm making a payment for an extracurricular, swipe the credit card, but you pay that one credit card that only has those types of expenses from one bank account. And the other beauty of that, you're saving time and money on attorney's fees when you have to look at it all. Two, you can actually see what you're spending on your kid because it's all in one account. Three, if you have to go to court, then you just bring those account and that one credit card in. And when the judge is looking at your bank statement, you know, and I'm not saying this is you, Erica, it might be Pete, but it's like, yeah, it's probably like, oh, we have um, guitar lessons for the child. Then we have a supermarket. No problem. Now we have the copay for the child. And now we have exactly after we took the child to the doctors for the copay, stopping at the liquor store and spending $1,000. Like, <laughs> and that's right in the bank statement. And now I'm going to have to explain it even though yeah. we're objecting to it. Yeah. I, like, you just don't want so, the so judge to see that to admit stuff. admit in court that your young child has a drinking problem. It's, True. it's not going <laughs> it's to look good so... for you. And the beauty of support pay is it does that but for both parents and unifies the record into one legally admissible support history. Touch of a button, boom. And it's completely confidential because it's built on a financial platform. So this is not a co-parenting app that has an expense tracker. This is a finance app. And that means you don't have to share your bank account information, write checks, any information about your location. So it's fantastic for anyone who has a narcissistic co-parent. Anyone experiencing domestic violence actually gets our product for free, the victim and the abuser. Anyone that has a restraining order, both parties get our premium product for free. Wow. But it's the, because they need that confidentiality or they don't have a way to pay support. So what I see as the biggest benefit is it takes away, we talk about that amygdala hijack. We're, we're feeling threatened all the time and a text message comes in at just the wrong time that says, now you owe me $50. This can set a parent off. And all of it impacts more than anything, the life of the child. So Support Pay's goal is to make sure that children get the support they deserve, but really it's to lower the conflict and preserve relationships between the families, which I know is something that has always been a goal of how to split a toaster as well. Anybody can check it out at supportpay.com. It's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I should mention. So... If you're interested in our domestic violence program, you can go to the landing page there and get information about how to get support pay premium for free for your family. And we also have like a million great resources, our favorite toys, books, programs, software for kids and parents going through divorce and all kinds of support and a list of the best professionals in the country to help you out. This is really cool. I'm just going, I'm not, I don't have any reason to use it myself personally. And I'm already thinking maybe, maybe my wife and I should just use it together to pay each other stuff. It's 
it's that cool. We actually have people that got together during COVID. They got a COVID pet and then they broke up and now they're sharing their pet expenses through COVID. Or, or through support pay. And through I, support pay, yeah. I only know this because people called our help desk to say, we don't have a child, but we have a pet. And so we've set up accounts just like the pet is it a It would have been so much better if they would have said, we have a child named Spot. <laughs> <laughs> like that just would have been better. Erica, this has been amazing. Yeah, truly. Thank you, Erica, for sharing a little bit about pet pay and support pay. Absolutely. Uh, it's a fantastic resource and service. And thanks for your insight on all this other stuff. You come, you, you bring a, uh, a wealth of uh, understanding and experience. And we're sure, we, we're sure appreciative of you uh, sharing with our audience. So everybody check out supportpay.com and, uh, you know, tell America sent you. It has been absolutely a delight to be here with you on how to split a toaster. And if this is the first time anyone's hearing one of your podcasts, please go back and check out the archive because there is an amazing selection on all kinds of things. Amazing. Everything divorce. All right. I know. Pete, she's just looking for us to send her kids bourbon to put under the tree. That's what just (laughs) happened there, brother. We got to go. Remember, they're champagne drinkers. (laughs) That's right. That's right. They're posh. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate you uh, hanging out your time and your attention on behalf of uh, Erica England and America's favorite divorce attorney, Beth Nelson. We'll catch you next, next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.